Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. You probably have not missed this, but I just want to remind you all that I do have a new feature on this show, which is a weekly news recap. And it's all due to the survey that I did with you guys earlier this summer, where a bunch of you said you would be interested in a weekly news recap on the show. So now I've added a few minutes onto every episode of Unconfirmed, where I go over the big news stories that week. I'm sure you can guess what this week's big news story is. So just stay tuned. After I close out with my guests, be sure to stick around for the My Week in Crypto recap. Now on to the show. Crypto.com. Get their app and buy crypto at true cost. Get a metal MCO Visa card with up to 5% back on all your spending. Download the Crypto.com app today. For a lot of crypto fans, it's hard to find one place where you can trade, plan, and discuss crypto strategy. Get started with eToro and the world's number one social trading platform. CypherTrace cutting-edge cryptocurrency intelligence powers anti-money laundering, blockchain analytics, and threat intel. Leading exchanges, virtual currency businesses, banks, and regulators themselves use CypherTrace to comply with regulation and to monitor compliance. Today's guest is James Ferguson, CEO and co-founder of Immutable, creators of Gods Unchained. Welcome, James. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Your company got caught up in one of the recent sports controversies around free speech and Hong Kong and, of course, Chinese censorship. Tell us what happened. So this was a really interesting week for us. Uh, Hearthstone, which is a video game where players battle with different trading cards, has a large esports tournament. And one of their players called Blitzchung, when he had won his round, announced afterwards on their live stream to the crowd to liberate Hong Kong, the revolution of our times. And in response to that, Blizzard and Hearthstone confiscated his winnings and banned him for 12 months. And for us, we decided that we would uh, reimburse Blitzchung for any prize money that was taken away from him and also give him an invitation to compete in our world tournament, which has a $500,000 prize pool for our game, Gods Unchained. And the reason which we did this was this was extremely aligned with our values. We have a game which is quite similar to Blizzard's game Hearthstone in the way it's played, with a big difference being that in our game, Gods Unchained, you actually own the cards in the game in a decentralized manner. Something which we find very a strange state of the world that we really don't like is that game studios currently are the ultimate centralized authority. And because of this amount of power that they wield, they have to 
there are pressures on them to weigh in on political events like this and respond to different foreign pressures and take away items from players that those players have earned. We envision a brand new business model and a brand new economy where it, this needs decentralization as well to move this power away from the games publisher and the game studio, but one in which not only should a game's publisher or creator not be able to take away something that a player has earned, they won't even have that pressure coming on them. They shouldn't be sort of expected to respond to these sorts of pressures. And I'm so curious because obviously you or your company has been working on this for such a long time before all of this happened. You know, this was just a few weeks ago. So when you came up with the idea for Gods Unchained, like what was the reason that you had that as one of your philosophical principles that games should be decentralized? Was it for situations like this or for other kinds of issues? This is one example of something which is rife in the industry. So the video game industry, for context, for a lot of people who may not know, is absolutely huge. It is $140 billion per year, and $90 billion of that is spent on players buying so-called in-game items. But these in-game items are not real. You're not buying ownership of them. Players are just buying license to use them on a certain server. Uh, they can never transfer them from their account. They can't sell them on later, etc. And with this business model, without real ownership, players are essentially just spending gigantic amounts of money renting short-term entertainment value. And we see that as something that is a really, really rough deal for players. The free-to-play gaming business model, which is used in mobile currently, where players are hyped up to be in a you know high spending state where they're very happy because maybe they've just passed a level and then they're found, they find out that they're then frustrated because they can't pass the next level unless they then pay $10 and then they can quickly do that. We think that that is manipulative and just not fun or good value for players. So what we see is a world where players are buying items which are real. They can trade it with their friends. They can give it away to their friends just as though they own the item in the real world. And we're very excited by what that allows us to do in terms of player engagement, player retention, player sharing, just because we're giving them so much more value. So let's go back to what happened with Blitzchung. After you made your offer to him, what kind of response did you get? So after we made the offer to Blitzchung, the tweet got thirty over 30,000 likes and 10,000 or so uh, retweets and in the end, 7 million impressions, which led a large amount of Hearthstone players who think that it is reasonably outrageous that a player would have their winnings taken away from them in this situation and are looking for a game that respects their rights as players, uh, all signed up for Gods Unchained. So a large amount, uh, we doubled our sign-up rate and our player base essentially overnight. Wow. But so along with that good news, there was some bad news that happened. Your company was the target of cyber attacks shortly thereafter. So tell us about that. Yeah, that was quite interesting. So the next day, as we were getting more and more users than most people we've ever 
had visit our site and they're all in a fantastic, uh, they're very primed because our, part of our exact value proposition that we will never take away the items that players earned has just been demonstrated how this can go wrong in centralized games companies. Uh, our servers started being DDoSed. Luckily, with the engineering team, they were able to, we had people wake up at 3 a.m. our time and they were able to resolve the issue within about six hours of sort of a emergency meeting, bringing in the sort of expert, an external expert team as well in order to harden everything up. But yeah, that was quite interesting that we got DDoSed within 24 hours of in- announcing. And just briefly, so I understand, because we've been talking about how it's decentralized, um, but yet you have your own servers. Is that just because there are certain activities that are done on your servers and then other activities, especially regarding like the cards or like anything that the users themselves or the players themselves own that those would be on an Ethereum smart contract or something that's decentralized? Yeah, exactly. So this is a really interesting issue, which is how decentralized can you get and how do you evolve to become more decentralized over time? If we tried to build a AAA quality video game that was highly engaging, like Gods Unchained on Ethereum, that's simply not possible, even if you're using uh, state-of-the-art state channels or layer two solutions, just because uh, there's so much computational complexity that goes into making a really in-depth esport. What is absolutely critical, though, is that ownership of assets is entirely decentralized. And for us, this is the fine middle ground until we finally have that technological capability where you can move more and more stuff on-chain. So who owns the items, what different rarities are, uh, how many can be created, what the different scarcities are, that all exists on Ethereum governed by a smart contract. And then we built out different engines that cache it and make it usable by players who the vast majority of our players have never interacted with crypto ever in their ever before in their lives. They just want to play a video game where they can own and real world trade their items on an open economy. Okay. And so did you ever figure out who was behind the DDoS attacks? Uh, we didn't. Uh, thankfully, the... Our resilience of the structure means that we can now withstand these attacks. We didn't ever find out who was behind them. In a moment, we're going to continue on with the fallout from the Blizzard protest and how it's affected Gods and Chain. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Will the world follow France and advocate banning privacy coins? Will government-backed stablecoins become the new fiat? Are distributed and peer-to-peer exchanges just a flash in the pan? The answer is maybe. Virtual currencies can flourish and create a new, private, and more versatile economy. But that grand vision can't happen without keeping crypto clean. And that requires support of governments and accountability for bad actors. Privacy-enhanced compliance using cryptographic controls has the potential to preserve anonymity without compromising legitimate investigations. CypherTrace is working on this vision of the future. Sign up to stay up to date on the Privacy-Enhanced Compliance Initiative and receive authoritative crypto AML reports quarterly. www.cyphertrace.com slash keep crypto clean. 
eToro gives you access to the most popular crypto assets on the market, and its virtual trading and discussion features let you discuss and test trading strategies with a community of over 11 million other traders. And headline news, they have officially launched in the USA. eToro offers the smartest trading tools and the ability to connect with the best traders around the world. Their trading fees are transparent and exceedingly low, too, and it's available in one easy-to-use app. Get started at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O.com and build your crypto portfolio the smart way today. Back to my conversation with James Ferguson of Immutable. So the story actually just keeps going because I saw that then a few American university students were inspired to make a similar protest about Hong Kong. So tell tell the listeners what happened then and how uh, that's affected you. It's very interesting is that when a company tries to censor some information or censor something that normally makes things worse. And so what has happened for uh, Blizzard with Hearthstone is that a large amount of different Americans and people from all around the world have been rallying behind this idea that it is uh, ridiculous and not the place of a games company in order to censor people for what they consider like their free and fair political speech. And so what happened was a team of an esports team from an American university then immediately followed up with another uh, similar protest on a Hearthstone stream in the tournament. And their suspension, uh, at first they were just given a warning and then that was later upped to be a suspension as well. But I think that what people are seeing is that this is not something that is a one-off issue. This is not a hopefully we can forget about it and it will all die down issue. People feel very passionately that if they're, that games should not be involved in confiscating earnings from players for external reasons. And especially when some of those external reasons are freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure, I'm sure the whole issue that started with the NBA. Uh, is fueling a lot of this sentiment. Yeah, because the uh, American University students, they the sign that they held up said free Hong Kong and boycott blitz. So they, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they really yeah. are. Yeah. But so then now are and they playing? What, so yeah, one of them in an interview said that God's Unchained is the game that they're switching to and we've reached out and we have also invited them to our $500,000 world championship for God's Unchained. At the same time, we've had a phenomenal response from other card game streamers and professionals who all love God's Unchained, not just because the game itself is complex for them and a great game, but it is also aligned with their values and they love the idea that they can own these items as well. So one other thing that I just wanted to verify when I was like noodling around on this, I saw that maybe Blizzard actually tried to keep people from leaving their platform. Like people were saying that Blizzard deactivated the different authentication methods. There were like four of them apparently to stop people from deleting their accounts. But I I couldn't figure out if this was true. This was something I saw on Twitter. Do you know about that? 
Yeah, we, we heard that. We heard uh, that assertion as well. We didn't manage to see whether or not it was confirmed. But at the end of the day, it starts. I wonder if there's some analogy between what happened with Uber and Lyft and when people were dissatisfied with the culture that uh, existed at Uber at that time and essentially decided that in order to align with their values, they wanted to close down their Uber account uh, and switch to a similar or superior service like Lyft. Ryan, so one other thing that I also couldn't figure out is what is the status of Gods Unchained? Because it looks like it's sort of live, but then maybe sort of not live. And I wasn't sure totally, uh, you know, where it is in terms of its launch. So this is a question we get asked a couple of times because the way which games launch and exist now uh, in the last couple of years has entirely changed from back in the day when you used to buy a disc and then that's it, the game is launched and you can play the game. Now games essentially exist as a live service model. So while Gods Unchained is in early access, people, you can join and play Gods Unchained currently. And last week we had like 100,000 matches each game is approximately 10 minutes long. So it means that there's something like a God's Unchained game being played by someone around the world every three or four seconds. Uh, so the game is very much live in that sense. And the word launch uh, has sort of lost its meaning in recent times. Okay. And um, do you have numbers on like how many users you had before versus how many you have now? So we went from approximately almost 30,000 signups to 60,000 now. And that number is still increasing at a higher rate than it ever was before. And that group is predominantly gamers. It's not people interested in crypto. It's people who love the idea of the value proposition of actually being able to own and trade your cards on an open economy, but who don't really have any interest or any knowledge about Bitcoin or Ethereum and who are interacting with it for the very first time. And can you tell where they are geographically? It's quite spread from all around the world. So we're very popular in USA, as well as Southeast Asia, and also Latin America. Okay, but for the new users, do you notice, because since they're sort of like politically motivated, I wondered, you know, where they were coming from? Uh, I... We find them to be mostly from the USA and Southeast Asia is the main, oh, okay. main sources, which I think makes sense as well because they're people who hold similar values to us. Okay. And when is the tournament? So the Gods Unchained First World Tournament is coming up next year. Uh, something which we did was we set aside 10% of all the – uh, revenue from card sales and would put it towards the prize pool for this tournament, tournament, which, uh, at over 500,000 US dollars, uh, is one of the largest first ever tournaments for an esport in the world ever. Uh, so we're thrilled about that. And the other people who are thrilled about that, the gamers who all are very interested in playing and trying to win for part of this prize. A couple of things which I think are very interesting as well is that in order to compete in this, you need a ticket, which is also a tradable token. And the market cap, there exists a liquid market for tickets in order to enter the tournament as well. 
Interesting. Well, so this actually relates to a question that I was wondering, which is, so obviously when people play games, they want the games to be fair. But in this sort of situation, is there some way that you've structured the game such that people can't just like buy their way to victory? Because, you know, as I'm sure you're aware. Yeah. Like, how does that work? So this is... This is one of the most important things. How can you build in order for the Gods Unchained economy to be strong uh, and there to be demand for all these different cards over a long period of time? So five years plus, five to 10 years, uh, you need to make sure that you don't have what is called a pay-to-win mechanic because that means that very quickly there there is just superior goods and there's no reason for this economy to exist. So there are two things which we've done in this regard, which are very interesting. Uh, apart from, you know, hiring the absolute best people in the world. So we, our game director for Gods Unchained is the, uh, he was the game director for Magic the Gathering Arena, which is one of the most popular card games in the world. Uh, it recently launched and it's lauded as being a very high quality product. And we've been able to bring him in and his expertise over to Gods Unchained in order to make sure that the game is balanced. But the mechanic which you go down in the end is when you pay more money, you get not better cards, but you get to try new, new tactics. The tactics aren't necessarily superior, uh, but you get more content for the game. Something else which we have uh, built out as well, which has been working extremely well for us, is our play-to-earn system. So by playing Gods Unchained matches, you can actually earn cards and prizes, which can then be sold. And based on this, we have had players beating the, the minimum wage in their country by playing Gods Unchained. And what that does for sharing to new players and our retention, that is one of the reasons that our game is doing so well. Okay, and just so I understand what you were saying earlier about how the items that you can purchase don't give you like better skills, but just new and different ones, then like in the marketplace, how does that translate into different prices for these various items, the non-fungible tokens? So the value behind an item comes from a couple of different things. There is utility. Uh, so if it's, you know, if something is slightly better, it will likely have a higher price. We try and avoid that as much as possible. What we like people paying for is fun. So if the new strategy is more fun to play as, then we're very happy for people to uh, pay for that. We're also happy for people to pay for prestige and status and cosmetics. So if you have a diamond version of a card, that has the exact same power and does the exact same thing as a plain version of the card. However, the diamond trade is, is much higher in terms of its price point. Uh, and that's because gamers and people all around the world love status. And when you're part of a community, even if that community is inside a, a video game, it doesn't matter. The, the human wants are the same. Everyone wants belonging. Everyone wants self-esteem. Everyone wants community. Everyone wants uh, self-actualization. And people also want status. And that's what it comes down to as well when you're trying to work out what people will pay for it. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll see how this experiment works. It sounds super fascinating. And I like um, how a very unexpected event uh, got your your game attention and sort of proved, um, you know, uh, the value proposition. So thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Thank you very much for having me, Laura. 
Don't forget, everyone, next up is the news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Crypto.com, have you seen the MCO Visa card? A metal card loaded with perks with up to 5% back and unlimited airport lounge access. They pay for your Spotify and Netflix, too. What's not to love? With Crypto.com, not only can you spend your crypto, but you can grow it too. Earn up to 6% per year on the most popular coins, like BTC, XRP, LTC, and up to 12% per year on stable coins. Join the over 1 million others and download the Crypto.com app today. Hi guys, thanks for tuning into this week's news recap. I'm sure you can all guess what the first headline is. As I have described it in the newsletter, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg takes flattery, heat, and bizarre questions from Congress. And um, yeah, that's pretty much a description of this pretty, um, I guess maybe schizophrenic uh, is a word, uh, to describe the range of feelings and um, attitudes that the lawmakers had toward Facebook and Zuckerberg. Um, he took heat for all kinds of things, including limiting anti-vax content. But anyway, um, <laughs> there were other times when he was just completely cut off from the question he had, from answering the question he had just been asked. And then other times when he was not even asked questions at all because the representative wanted to use the full time for grandstanding. But anyway, despite all that, he did manage to get across that Facebook wants to go forward only with U.S. regulators' approval, but that the Libra Association is now in control of Libra and that Facebook does not control the association. So that, of course, creates this potential scenario where Libra could move forward without Facebook, which would be pretty interesting to see play out, but I actually think it still is unlikely. The fact is that Facebook is best positioned to offer up a competitive alternative to a digital renminbi, and, um, you know, how, what that looks like is still an open question, but, you know, with their scale, um, and their user base, I, I do think that is the case. The NYT had a great write up on the Trump offensive that Facebook and the Libra Association undertook in Washington leading up to the hearing. But of course, skepticism remained. The FT wrote an article that posed a great question, which, uh, was quote, how is it possible to bring the great swell of unbanked on board and at the same time satisfy all the sanctions, compliance, and money laundering rules that come along with transacting in the big currencies. And um, of course, at the other governments were also still skeptical with the French economy and finance minister saying of Libra, quote, the project would mean a private company controlling a common good and taking over tasks normally discharged by states. This is unacceptable for both economic and political reasons. Second story I wanted to cover is actually something that came out last Thursday, but I didn't manage to get it in last week's news recap. And it's about the G7 working group on stablecoins issuing a report. And I just have to say that first, it amazes me that the G7 has a working group on stablecoins. Um, <laughs> like if I think back to years ago when I started covering this and nobody cared and I could barely uh, even, you know, get stories uh, to write about this topic approved, like, this this is we've come a long way. Anyway, the report highlights the risks of stable coins. One of the notable points that it made was about cybersecurity and data, data privacy being an especially big issue for global stable coins that reach scale, which of course I'm sure any of you who have ever shopped at Target or who have a credit score or um, who shopped at Home Depot or had a Yahoo email account, any of you uh, I'm sure know that cybersecurity is a huge issue. And of course, we are all 
always talking about data privacy. And second, it also talked about how a global stablecoin could have impacts on financial stability and economies of multiple countries, which is something that we have discussed on the show. And another point I found interesting was that it said if widely adopted, global stablecoins could cause a reduction in deposits at commercial banks, which is something not exactly that I discussed in the show with uh, the Federal Reserve economist David Anelfato, but uh, some a related topic came up. However, the report did end by recommending that authorities, quote, ensure a level playing field that encourages competition. In related news, Tyler Cohen, the George Mason University economist and author of the Marshall Revolution blog, wrote an op-ed in Bloomberg saying that he thinks it would be bad for central banks to issue their own digital currencies because it would likely inhibit lending, which is the topic we just discussed, and that in turn would depress the economy. Also, he said it would increase the number of economic institutions that are regulated like banks, which would spread onerous financial regulations beyond, quote, the narrow core of the banking system. He also points to the fact that China is in the lead on a central bank currency, saying that that has to do with the fact that its banking and payment system are already state-run and state-controlled. And he says that a central bank digital currency would basically take our system, which is a blend of centralized and decentralized, and tilt it more towards centralized. Next headline, why Ethereum killers have an uphill battle. Chris Berniski of Placeholder Ventures wrote a great analytical piece outlining some of the factors that could make or break the various Ethereum killers that are coming online. As he puts it, quote, a common logic I've seen in almost every Ethereum killer goes something like, Our technology is superior to Ethereum's, thus we deserve a similar, if not superior, network valuation. But he says that if a good enough network technology has enough tooling and distribution, then those network effects can outweigh the potential benefits of switching to an alternative with better technology but worse network effects. He also makes some interesting points about how proof-of-stake networks gain traction versus proof-of-work ones, with the main point there being that proof-of-stake networks need killer applications to create demand for the services being offered on that network. I highly recommend that you guys check out this uh, analysis because it actually goes into a lot more than I'm able to describe here, but it was really, really interesting. It was probably worth actually a couple reads. Um, Next headline is about Backed, which is going to be offering which is going to be launching Bitcoin options on futures December 9th. And also they noted that yesterday, or not yesterday, Wednesday, they saw a record 590 contracts of the backed Bitcoin monthly futures change hands. Next headline, mining is an effective strategy for money laundering. So speaking of money laundering, as the lawmakers did with Zuckerberg on Wednesday, according to Elliptic, One of the more effective, if less popular at the moment, ways to launder money is through mining, writes Tim Lloyd at the block, quote, the key to this laundering technique is the transfer of illicit funds via custom transaction fees paid to the miner. This potentially could be a growing area uh, for money launders. And um, as we know, it is one of the ways that I think North Korea has gotten into the crypto game uh, to evade sanctions, which I believe was discussed on a previous show. Next headline, Circle's game plan, unclear. Last week, Circle announced that it had sold crypto exchange Poloniex, 
And it's rumored that the buyer is an Asian investment group headed by Tron CEO Justin Sun. Now, Frank Chaparro writes in the blog, the open question is what lines of revenue Circle can depend on with its various products and services such as Circle Pay, Circle Research, and its one-time money-making OTC desk, all axed or reduced. A couple possibilities include custody and lending and perhaps interest off its stablecoin USDC, but right now that last business is probably only bringing in a couple million dollars. So we shall see if it manages to make a smart smart pivot or if it uh, ends up getting sold because the rumor is that it has been shopping itself around to the likes of Coinbase. This week's fun bits is a tweet from Ryan Sean Adams, who had a very pithy summary of this week's hearing uh, with Mark Zuckerberg. He says, Zuckerberg's pitch to the U.S. government, you can't let China pull ahead. We'll bend the knee. You run the monetary policy. We'll we build the tech. We keep USD as global king, get rid of cash, and 10x your financial surveillance. Your dollar plus our tech. What do you say? All right, that's it for this week's news. To learn more about the topics that James and I discussed, as well as the stories from this week's news recap, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, and Josh Durham. Thanks for listening.